With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast, I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. More breaking down Steve's 2019 college football preview, which, Steve, by the time folks listen to this on Monday, July the 15th, is, it? is that where we're headed? Yes. July 15th? Holy cow. Um, they'll be able to see all of this content, your entire preview. Where can they see it at? They will be able to download it on Monday. Um, I don't know the exact time yet. But it will be available Monday at Wolverine Digest, all one word, WolverineDigest.com. They'll be able to, to download the full PDF on that website. Okay, very good. There you go, folks. So let's jump in now and talk about um, Bates' preseason top 25, as well as his bowl projections and what he thinks the college football playoff will look like. Uh, Steve, you've got a top 40, and in that top 40, before we get to 25, Big Ten teams included Wisconsin at 34. Steve writes his numbers disagree with the college football punditry and the Badgers more than any other team this season. What do you mean by that? Meaning I'm I'm far lower on them than everybody else is. Everybody's convinced last year was an outlier and an aberration, and my numbers say that this year was actually supposed to be the down year. Last year they just had a rash of injuries and a bunch of other things go wrong, so it was kind of a star-crossed season for them. But this is the year that the numbers are down. Uh, with the four lost players in the offensive line, all the talent they've lost uh, on the defensive side of the football, um, and then you throw in something you didn't foresee, Alex Hornibrook leaving. And I know he wasn't great last year, but I don't know why anybody watched Jack Cohn as backup and, and got warm fuzzies. He gave me the vapors. Okay, I, I think that's why you're going to see Graham Mertz be the freshman, who's probably the highest-rated quarterback recruit they've ever had at Wisconsin. I think he's going to be uh, the starting quarterback uh, before all is said and done, and I think that's going to be said uh, pretty early in the year. Actually, uh, I could see if I, I could see Mertz either starting in the year as the quarterback or starting after the Michigan game to open the Big Ten season uh, and let him get through. Don't let the because here's the thing: you either start in week one. You don't start Graham Mertz against Don Brown. You don't do that. All right, not, not if you want Graham Mertz to you know get out of out of there not being shell shocked. So he'll either start week one to get ready for Don Brown or they'll start him after Michigan and Don Brown leaves town is what I think will happen. So I, I, I made, I, I made one accommodation. I had Wisconsin at seven and five. I gave them an extra win to eight and four in deference to wisdom and a multitude of counsel. I'm, I'm, you know, unless it's a subject matter, I'm a hundred percent certain on. I have a tendency to get nervous when I'm saying something and nobody else is saying it, okay? Um, a lot of times if you think something and everybody else is, thinks everything else, most of the time it's you who's wrong. So I, I'm not an expert on Wisconsin football's team. Um, I'm a very knowledgeable observer, but I'm not an expert. So I'll, I'll defer to the, to the intelligentsia, and I gave Wisconsin an extra win in how I figured out the standings. And, yes, I'm the guy that does the math to make sure the losses and the wins add up, you know. So um, that meant I had to take a loss away from somebody else. So Purdue, you can blame the uh, Wisconsin uh, favorable media 
I, I gave them a, a nod, but still eight and four for Wisconsin. You know, we're not too far away from the, last year at this time, John, they went into the year. They were the number four team in the AP preseason poll. That's the, that's mm-hmm. tied to the highest preseason ranking they had ever received in the AP poll. Uh, 32 at Purdue, 31 Northwestern, 30 Penn State, and 27 Iowa. You can see I got a lot of those teams bunched up. And when we did the Bigger Ten podcast and laid this all out with the spreadsheets and stuff we put together on all these leagues, you got a chance to see how close I rate these, uh, I rate these teams. I mean, I, I have the difference between first and sixth place in the Big Ten, just a handful of points in the Big Ten West. So I think that kind of plays itself out. And when, and how they're clustered here in the honorable mention portion of my rankings. And, and this is not a, the, these are just the teams that I think are the next in line if I'm wrong in how I would rank them. That's who these teams are. So maybe Colin Coward's comments this week to the effect of, uh, the, the middle of the Big Ten being weak. Maybe not. Well, compared to what? I mean, I, you know, Here's the, the, the middle of the Big Ten's a hell of a lot better than the middle of the ACC. I'll tell you that. Hell, I think the middle of the Big Ten is better than everybody in the ACC other than the number one team. Like, I think if Iowa was in the, was in the ACC, they'd be picked second in that conference. And I'm not kidding. All right. Mm. So, um, then the Big 12, I mean, I, I, you know, if you get past, let's, let's say Oklahoma and Texas are separate from, from the next tier of teams in the Big 12. Let's say that's Iowa State. TCU, Baylor. Are those three teams better than Iowa, Northwestern, Penn State? Oh, maybe. It's probably similar to some degree. Slight edge maybe to the Big Ten. You know, I'd say the middle of the SEC. Are those, you know, let's say the middle of the SEC is Auburn, uh, Tennessee, and uh, Florida. Well, you know, Florida is probably better than any of the teams I just mentioned. And then the next two teams are the Big Ten's probably – their middle is probably better than those two teams. So the middle of the Pac-12, do we even have to have that conversation? So i got to be honest. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Coming in, number 25, Army. When's the last now, time Army's uh, – last, last year, um, you know, when they won 11 games. But I wanted to say – this is now how I believe I am forecasting how the playoff committee will rank the top 25 teams at the end of the season. That's right. what this ranking is. Okay. Right. So you've got Army at 25, Nebraska at 24, and Stanford at 23. So the reason these two teams are here is I believe Nebraska will beat Iowa at the end of the year at home. If I didn't, just reverse Nebraska and Iowa. Put Iowa here. And put Nebraska in the honorable mention. That one game, I think, will be the difference. Same with Stanford. I think Stanford will beat Notre Dame at the end of the year at home. If I'm wrong, take Stanford out. Move Notre Dame up a couple of notches. But that's how these are symbiotic relationships now in forecasting how the playoff committee is going to rank these teams. Um, If you want to know more about those teams individually, I'll tell you, but that's why they're rated I'm projecting them to finish rated where they are because of how, what I think they will do the last weekend of the regular season. Missouri at 22, Iowa State at 21, and USC at 20. So for Missouri, I, I, it's predicated on me being correct that they're going to win their appeal. If they don't win their appeal, the college football playoff committee won't rank them. 
but um, you know, I love Missouri. They were one of my best bet win totals uh, over the win total uh, when we did that podcast recently. Uh, I think that's an eight nine win schedule uh, for Missouri. Uh, when you look at when you look at, and I think Kelly Bryant will come in there with a chip on his shoulder. You know, we forget he took Clemson to the playoffs two years ago. We forget he outplayed Lamar Alexander in prime time on the road at Louisville uh, in that game back in 2017. We forget Trevor Lawrence was struggling uh, at, at down in uh, College Station at last September, and he came back in the game and bailed them out and won that game. We kind of forgot, you know, I hate to go off for, you know, uh, we forgot about Dre, but he's he's we forgot this guy's pretty good. And I think he'll step in there, I, a different quarterback than Drew Locke was, but I think he'll be very effective. And I like their skill weapons, and I really, really like their schedule. For Iowa State, this is unlike any Iowa State team I have ever covered. And we're going back to when I started doing local sports talk radio in Des Moines in 1999. What sets this team apart is the paradigm at Iowa State. You know, you had, you had some years – where they had the Reggie Hayward defensive front in 2000. A couple of those guys went on to play in the NFL. You have some years where the offensive line's been pretty good. But for Iowa State, they've always had to win outside in, meaning usually the linebackers uh, were better than the, the, the defensive line. Usually the skill players were better than the offensive line players. So they've always had to kind of win outside in. This is the first team I've seen at Iowa State that is built inside out, and it is built well. I can make an argument the top four defensive players in the Big 12 are all at Iowa State. Mm. Mike Rose, Greg Eisworth, the safety, Jaquan Bailey um, on de- the defensive end, and then the defensive tackle there, who I'm, 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 I'm forgetting his name here on the spot. But I can make an argument those four guys are the best four defensive players returning in the Big 12 regardless of position. You know, so – and they're all at Iowa State. The offensive line returns everybody. Now, it was really young last year, um, but given what Matt can, and it, so, and it wasn't great, but given what Matt Campbell can do in terms of player development that we've already seen, I mean, two years in a row, he's used a third-string quarterback in the middle of the year to save Iowa State's year. Uh, Kyle Kemp two years ago, Brock Purdy last year. They're bringing Brock Purdy back. Now, this year, without David Montgomery, without Hakeem Butler, and they didn't have, you know, they didn't miss Alan Lazard last year because they you could see Hakeem Butler coming on to take that spot. They didn't have that guy kind of coming on last year to take the spot for Hakeem Butler moving on. So what we'll be fascinating about to watch Iowa State is they're not built like any team at Iowa State has been built since I've been covering them. They are built to win football games inside out without gimmicks. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how they find those skill guys. It's going to probably take two guys to do what David Montgomery did for them. It's going to probably take two guys to do what Hakeem Butler did for them, you know, but, but they've got time to find those guys because they're going to win more games in the trenches than you are accustomed to Iowa State seeing. And then with USC, there's just too much talent here to go five and seven. And I know they were really young last year. I love the switch to the air raid. This is the first new offense that USC has had since Lane Kiffin took over for Norm Chow as offensive coordinator for Pete Carroll. So you're going back about a decade now. They've been a straight up and down pro light pro style offense. They're going to an air raid. And when you look at the way they recruit receivers and skill talent at USC, it's the perfect year for them to do that. 
So we're going to know a lot about USC, though, in September. That schedule is either getting Clay Helton fired, or if they survive it, the back half of that schedule, there's a lot of wins. But the key for Clay Helton will be surviving that September gauntlet. Yeah, Minnesota at 19, Auburn 18, Miami 17. I wonder when the last time Minnesota finished the season in the top 25 was. I guarantee we got to go back to, like, Glenn Mason, Lawrence Maroney days. Yeah, I get they won 10 games was like in, in 2000 or 2002, something like that. Yeah, probably. I Last time they beat us was 05 for the Little Brown Jug, and they had a couple thousand-yard rushers. Maybe that that those teams, 04, 05, 03, you know, they were really good those years. So uh, probably you got to go back to that era. So we're going back, what now, almost 15 years. Yeah, yeah quite, quite a way. Um Last time, top 25, final poll, um, 2003. They were 20th. They were 10 and 3 that season. So 15 years. Yeah. Yep. And then before, and before that, it was 1999. And before that, it was 1962. So that would be rarefied air for them. Well, they still have the longest Rose Bowl drought in the league. 1962 was their last Rose Bowl team. Wow. Wow. Yep. And then uh, Auburn 18, Miami 17, Washington 16. See, so look at these three teams. Um, I think Auburn's schedule is just – I mean, it, it's it's a good thing Gus Malzahn got that money, okay, because that schedule's got buyout written all over it. That, that, that schedule is, is a chore, man. Um, I mean, they're playing. They're starting with Oregon. They got the SEC West. They they drew Georgia and um, uh, Florida out of the SEC East, <laughs> all right? So they got Georgia, Florida, Texas A&M, uh, LSU, Alabama, and then they're opening with Oregon. Yikes. Okay, yikes. So that schedule is insane. Um, and then you look at – we've talked enough about Minnesota and the other podcast. Miami, it's the – stop me if you've heard this before. Uh, Aerosmith, uh, it's the same old song and dance, my friend. If they find a quarterback, like literally everything else is there. Literally everything else is there, okay? If they find a quarterback. Now, they hoped that was going to be Tate Martell, and much like Justin Fields in the spring at Ohio State, he was hardly impressive. Uh, there's talk he might not even be the starter there. Maybe Nikosi Perry, who was a big recruit for them three years ago and just hasn't quite developed yet. Maybe he'll start instead, but... If that's what it comes down to for Miami, if they can find a quarterback. But we've been saying that for how many years? And this is a program for those of you that are John and I's age and older. I mean, at one time on the roster, they had Jim Kelly, Vinny Testaverde, and Bernie and, and Bernie Kosar all on the roster together. <laughs> okay, together. Another time they had Bernie Kosar. Um, Steve Walsh and uh, Craig Erickson and Vinny Testaverde all on the roster together. Gino Toretta was a, they gave a Heisman to at Miami just because he played quarterback at Miami, won a Heisman one year, literally. We got, they like had no one else to give it to in 92, and they're like, I'll give the guy, he's the quarterback at Miami, give it to that guy. All right. So it's kind of nuts to sit here and think the ultimate quarterback you. But we have been saying this really since Ken Dorsey left. When did he stop playing in Miami? 03, 04? 
We have been saying this for a long time. If they can just find a quarterback, and we're saying it again. Washington, one one thing on Washington, I'm going to be fascinated with this marriage. So you have Jacob Eason comes in, former prep star in Washington, Tony Eason's kid, the old Illinois quarterback who just got, you know, uh, sodomized by the Bears in Super Bowl Twenty. if you remember that game. Um, This is his kid, five-star recruit. Transferred at Georgia when Jake Fromm got, when he got hurt, Jake Fromm came in and then took the job, so he transferred out. He comes in to play for Chris Peterson. I'm going to be fascinated to see how this marriage works because Jacob Eason couldn't be any more different than Jake Browning. And Jake Browning is your, is a Boise State kind of quarterback when Chris Peterson was there. Dink and dunk, high efficiency, don't take chances, don't turn it over. Jacob Eason is out there with like Matthew Stafford, man, gunslinger. Just throwing off his back foot 70 yards downfield and hoping someone grabs it. I will be fascinated to see how such a straight laced play the percentages coach like Chris Peterson, how he handles going from, um, uh, you know, um, your, your classic Boise State kind of quarterback to a Jim McMahon, Brett Favre kind of mindset. That'll be interesting to watch at Washington. Number 15, Central Florida, 14, Notre Dame, and 13, Michigan State. So I'm telling you, I think Central Florida will again represent the uh, group of five uh, in the New Year six with this prediction. Tough for non-conference schedule, though. They have Stanford coming in, who's a physical team in the trenches. Uh, and then they go at Pittsburgh. I know they shellacked Pittsburgh last year, and that's why this will be a tough game for them. I mean, when you're a Power 5 league team and you get destroyed like that by a group of five team, you will have that game circled for the return engagement the next year. Now we just learned that Dylan Mack, who took over for Mackenzie Milton, has a broken ankle. He's going to be out for all of preseason camp. Now, they already have Brandon Winbush coming in from Notre Dame. He was going to be the starter likely anyway. But here's what that means. You don't have the insurance policy with Dylan Mack there now. And so you're going to run the quarterback a lot in that offense. And you're playing two power five teams the opening month of the year that play physical style of defenses with Pat Narduzzi and David Shaw. And, you know, if something happens there with Brandon Winbush and you don't have Dylan Mack, who comes in next? One of those games could be the difference in whether, you know, Central Florida is the group of five representative or not. Notre Dame, for me, um, I think the team's a lot like last year's team, just not quite as explosive. But um, the road schedule is tougher. If they win the game at Stanford at the end of the year, then they'll be a near six team. I think they lose it and finish nine and three. So that's that game is the difference between between Notre Dame being like 14th or being ninth or 10th. And then we've talked a lot about Michigan State last offseason. I was not as high on them as I was as everybody else was. I didn't like the depth this year. I'm higher on them than most people are. I think the depth is better. And I love the defensive front seven. I think it's. I think it, it could very well be the nastiest in college football. At the very least, it's the nastiest north of Baton Rouge or Tuscaloosa. Um, Twelve, Florida, eleven, Texas A&M, and then ten, Oregon. Now we're getting into some of the teams I think will be selected for New Year's Six games, and we'll get to the bowl projections here in a bit. You look at Dan Mullen's first year at Georgia or Florida. You go from five and seven to. Uh, 10 and 3, and you finish number 7 in the final poll, tied with Georgia, your your arch rival there. That could not have gone much better. Now, they lost a lot. But they're bringing back a lot, too. It's interesting just that how much they lost and they're bringing back. So uh, 
the losses, a lot of them are in the front, particularly on the offensive line. You've got four new starters there. They lose some key players in the defensive front too, but you got um, Jabari Zuniga, who's going to be, I think, a first-round pick coming off the edge. So that'll take some of the sting from losing a guy like a Ja'Kai Polite. Still, it's Florida, so they're one of those schools like a Miami and LSU. They've always got DBU going there, so they'll be solid in the defensive backfield. I like their offensive skill quite a bit, and, and the schedule is favorable. Can Felipe Franks take the next step forward? We will find out. With Texas A&M, that's a team building for 2020. But it's still a top 10 overall roster in college football this year. But they're a team also playing a difficult schedule. Clemson, they play Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia. You know, I don't think I'll shock anybody. Those are going to be the top three teams in my poll when we get there. I just might have them in a different order than other people do. But they play all three of those teams and two of them on the road. So A&M looks to me like a team, you know, they won't fall off the map. Jimbo Fisher's too good of a coach. So I still think they can kind of sneak into the New Year's Six. But I think A&M is a team, they're going to make their big playoff push in 2020. And then Oregon is a team that I love their personnel I'm, a, a lot. Uh, you have Justin Herbert coming back, could beat out Tua Tagovailoa for the number one pick in the NFL draft. You look at the way they've recruited. I love their offensive line. This is the best offensive line Oregon's had in a long time, uh, you know, probably since Marcus Mariota played there, maybe even going back before that. Um, uh, the, then you look at the schedule, though. Uh, at Both the games that are kind of defining for them are away from uh, from Austin. Uh, they've got to go to Washington, where they rarely, if ever, win. And then they go to Auburn, or they go to Jerry World to play Auburn to open the year. My concern with them is Mario Cristobal. He's done a great job recruiting. But we really haven't seen what kind of a head coach he is yet. And and so that's a team um, that, if you want to know the difference between them and Utah, who we'll talk about in a little bit, it comes down to I trust Kyle Winningham as a head coach more than Mario Cristobal. But I like Oregon's talent a lot. Moving on, number nine, Texas, number eight, Ohio State, and number seven, Oklahoma. So I know what's you know, it's funny. It, people are kind of so tired of Texas burning them by, by claiming they're back when they're not. But now that they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, everybody I listen to, all these podcasts are dunking on Texas. They're not really back. Too many losses. And everybody focuses on the lack of returning production on defense. And they do have a huge lack of returning production on defense. That's why in Bill Connolly, who moved to ESPN from SB Nation, his returning production numbers, I think they're the worst in the Power Five because of how many players they lost on defense. John, what league are they in? Yeah. What league's Texas in? Yeah. Big 12? Yes. Really? We're, we're talking about returning starters lost on defense in the Big 12. Really? So most years this league is won by the team with the best quarterback. Probably neck and neck Sam Ellinger and Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma, who's the best quarterback. So what I think is going to happen here, with I, I think Texas will lose early in the year to LSU. That's where those losses on defense I think will be will will will, will hurt them. I think they'll lose to Oklahoma, and then I think they'll lose one of these three road games: TCU, Iowa State, Baylor. They play all three of them on the road, and then I think they're going to beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. That's one of the conference championship up get, upsets I'm forecasting. For my crystal ball is I think Texas beats Oklahoma, Ohio state, you know, um, not much else to say about them than we haven't said all season long. It really comes down to two things. Can they keep Justin Fields healthy? Cause they've got primordial ooze behind him. And then how good is he really? And how good is he ready to be this year? 
didn't, like I said on the Bigger Ten podcast, the only meaningful snap he played his entire freshman year at Georgia was that botched fake punt, terrible call by Kirby Smart that cost his team maybe a national championship. That's the only meaningful snap he played all year. So he's really a redshirt freshman at Ohio State after a coaching change, meaning he was not picked by the current coaching staff. And he's more of your, you know, he can sling the rock, but he, he, he needs to use his legs more than Dwayne Haskins wanted to use his legs. And Ryan Day really wants more of a pro-style spread. And, and I can't imagine they're going to risk running him a lot anyway, given how the lack of depth they have uh, behind him. So I think Ohio State, I mean, if, 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 like, like if Justin Fields got hurt end of September against Nebraska, or hell, week one turns an ankle, you know, something freak happens, gets his foot caught in the, you know, turf. Man, I, I, I could see eight and four if they're lucky coming down the horizon. That's how much of a drop off I think there is at that position. Okay. Uh, then you look at Oklahoma. I think much too much is being made about bringing in Alex Grinch as the defensive coordinator. He did a nice job at Washington State, but he coordinated that Ohio State defense last year. That was the worst defense Urban Meyer had his entire career there. So we'll see whether he's the answer for Oklahoma defensively or not. Uh, they lost four of their, la- of their top five offensive linemen. So, you know, if you follow Phil Steele, that's one of his favorite metrics is offensive line starts. Um, but, again, they're in a league that doesn't play a ton of defense. So I don't know how many teams in the conference are kind of equipped to take advantage of that. But it, it could be a bigger deal, John, for them with a Jalen Hurts at quarterback than a Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield type. And the reason being is Jalen Hurts, I'm sure he'll become a better passer getting coached by Lincoln Riley. But he his strength will always be the power running. And so they're gonna you know, they're gonna need that young offensive line. It's gonna have to do more than just kind of screen guys off for two seconds to get Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray time to throw the ball down the field. They're gonna have to move the line of scrimmage. And I'll I'll be interested to see how good they are at doing that. But I think they also have easily the best schedule in the Big Twelve, a more favorite far more favorable schedule than Texas does. So I think they finish first in the Big 12 in the regular season, and then Texas beats them in the Big 12 championship game to pull the upset. Number six, Utah. Number five, LSU. Then we'll wait, and then we'll go in the top four after that. So um, my Power 5 breakdown has Utah and Oregon tied for first place in the Pac-12. They've been building for this year. They got to the Pac-12 championship game last year. Physically, they went toe-to-toe with Washington in the trenches. They just didn't have, they, you know, Zach Moss, the running back, was hurt. Tyler Huntley, the quarterback, was hurt. They just didn't have enough skill weapons to get that touchdown that they needed uh, to, to pull off the upset. They've got those guys back and healthy this year. Uh, I think Kyle Winningham's the best coach in college football that nobody talks about. They're going to have, they're, they're still going to be the trademarked tough in the trenches. He's kind of the, kind of the Kurt Ferentz, Pat Fitzgerald of the Pac 12, if that, you know, if that analogy works for you. Um, and, and when you look at putting those things together, I think this is the year that they take the next step. I think they beat Oregon in the Pac 12 championship game. That's another conference championship up, a game upset that I'm forecasting. And I think Utah gets to the Rose Bowl for the first time. And if you're an Arizona fan, you're hating life 
because that would mean one of the new teams in the Pac-12 got to the Rose Bowl before you have, and you've been there since it went from the Pac-8 to the Pac-10, Pac-10 in the late 70s. Mm. Number four in the playoffs, these four teams are in the playoffs, Michigan at four, Clemson at three, Bama at two, and Georgia at one, which means Georgia and Michigan would play in a semifinal along with Bama and Clemson playing one another in a semifinal. Let's let's take these from four to one. So you look at Michigan, and in the last three uh, or, or three full recruiting classes, there's only been four programs that have recruited more combined four and five star recruits than Jim Harbaugh has. Um, you have a returning senior playmaker at quarterback for the first time. He's got the best offensive line I think the school has had since Lloyd Carr retired, and when they had Jake Long and those guys. Um, you have. You know, one of the best defensive coordinators in the sport. Urban Meyer is gone. You're 38 and 10 in your four years against every team not coached by Urban Meyer. So you got to start asking yourself. I mean, the stars are kind of aligned. If they don't do it this year, you start asking yourself when they will be able to do it. All right. So I've got Michigan at number four with a two loss because I have Michigan at four, LSU at five, Utah at six. Oklahoma, Ohio State, Ohio State, Texas, Oregon. I have all those teams with two losses. So if you go back to my crystal ball, I said this is the first for the first time a two-loss team gets in, and there, in fact, there will be several two-loss teams uh, that will be competing for the final playoff berth. You see that bear out in the way I'm projecting the playoff rankings to be at the end of the year. And number three, you have Clemson. And you know, I know there's the shtick, and it kind of rubs people the wrong way. But Dabo Sweeney can coach. Here's a couple of numbers. The, Clemson has had 15 double-digit win seasons all time as a program, John, and eight of them have been since he's been the head coach. Mm. They've been playing wow. football there since, like, the 1870s, all right? Um, he's the only coach in college football history to finish higher than his preseason AP ranking nine consecutive seasons. Nine. Now, that streak's going to get snapped, likely, because it's almost a metaphysical certitude. They're going to be number one when the AP poll comes out here in about a month. You can't do better than finishing, you know, starting number one. You can't finish higher than that, right? So last year they started number two and finished number one. That made it nine years in a row that he finished higher than his AP ranking. I don't know that we will ever see something like that again the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And when you look at how many of those years he was starting in the top ten and still outdoing his rankings, there you go. But, but Clemson lost more off-season attrition than any team in my total team talent ratings. Um, they lost well almost 40 points of early attrition transfers. It, in a way, it looked like what you see in, when teams win a couple of Super Bowls and, like, all the assistants leave and, you know, all their free agents get signed away, right? That's a mm-hmm. little bit what happened to them. I mean, even guys like Shaq Lawson are transferring to Illinois when they might have started for Clemson this year. Just got tired of kind of riding the bench. So um, they have been hit hard by attrition. The good news for them, they're still in the ACC. They have a generational Andrew Luck kind of talent at quarterback and four returning starters in the offensive line to keep him healthy and shred the Atlantic Coast Conference uh, for those eight games. So that's why I think they'll be back in the playoff. But they're they're not as good as they were last year. And, and they might have had the best defensive front in college football since the Miami teams of the late 80s were, you know, rolling NFL lines uh, at that at that era. Number two, I've got Alabama. 
I think Nick Saban has the perfect situation. Everybody's dunking on him all off season. You know, he, this is a guy that has to often contrive controversies. At one point last year, he literally asked the media to stop writing nice things about his team when right. they, when when people were charting how how few passes and snaps Tua was playing in the fourth quarter of games. I think we've way overreacted to how last season ended because I think Tua was really hurt. You know, the, he was in a boot leading up to the national championship game and everything else. I think we've kind of overreacted to that. Um, I think they finished 12 and 0 in the regular season, but then finally another conference championship weekend upset. Nick Saban finally loses to an assistant. Georgia losing to Alabama in overtime in the national championship game two years ago, losing to Alabama and the last second drive by Jalen Hurts in the SEC championship game last year. I think they finally get off the schneid and beat Alabama, and both of those teams finish 12-1, and Georgia as the SEC champion, and both get into the college football playoff. Mm. Mm. All right, let's roll through some uh, bowl projections involving Big Ten teams. I'm scouring over this from the bottom, rolling up, looking, looking. No, start at the top first. and go. Start at the start at the top and go down. Start with the playoff. Peach, Peach Bowl, Michigan versus Georgia, Fiesta Bowl, Clemson, Alabama. I'm not sure Michigan wants to go back to the Peach Bowl after what happened last year, so it can't get any worse. I'll just put it that way. Can't get any worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rose, Utah versus Ohio State. Interesting contrast of styles. That would be, um, and in, in many respects, Utah would play a, a style of football that Ohio State, this would not be like the Rose Bowls we saw as a kid, where Big Ten teams like to play in phone booths and go out there and play those pro-style passing attacks from the Pac-10 and get ran out the field, right? We saw that in the 80s growing up. This would mm-hmm. kind of be like Utah, this would be more like a conference game for Ohio State. This Utah would want to play a style and a physicality that uh, Ohio State would be far more accustomed to. Moving on down the uh, list of bowl games, we've got Sugar Bowl, Texas A&M against Texas. You just get the sense they're waiting to do this, because this is a locked-in game now. It's, the, it's, the, and it's an SEC Big 12 game. So you just get the sense they are waiting for the chance to put these two teams against each other in a bowl game, and I think it's coming soon, as soon as this year. Orange Bowl, Miami against LSU. And I don't know who'd have the most fans there if that was the case. I mean, when you look at LSU's fan base and Miami compared to Miami. Yeah, they travel. Yeah, that could look a little bit like, remember that uh, Orange Bowl two years ago when you and I were thinking, boy, Alex Hornibrook led the Big Ten in interceptions, Miami's going to turnover chain. And then we got to the game that kicked off. You're like, are they playing this game at Camp Randall, right? Yeah, I I could – I could see that happening to Miami if they had to play LSU in that spot. And then the Cotton Bowl, Central Florida against Oklahoma, which would look a lot like that one bowl game every year, not just one, but bowl game where one team is really happy to be there and the other yep. one's not. Yep, we've seen two consistent trends in New Year's Six Bowl games, and that is in the Sugar Bowl there's always a team from the one of the teams, either the Big 12 or SEC team there, typically doesn't want to be there. Now, in this scenario that, that I picked, it that would not be the case, but we saw that play out last year with Texas and Georgia, right? Georgia just wasn't interested in being there. And 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 then there's the game with the New Year's Six team, 
Now, last year, LSU wanted to send a message and take care of business, but we saw Central Florida beat Auburn. Uh, we saw Louisville beat Florida State. Often the team that is facing the group of five team um, kind of landed there and, and didn't want to. And I could see Oklahoma, if they lost the Big 12 championship game, and then had to go turn around and play the group of five team. I, I could see that being a motivational issue for the Sooners. Indeed. Um, Citrus Bowl, Michigan State against Florida. Now, when we get into this next year of Big Ten team games, I've, I've factored in all the contractual agreements as well as um, agreements for how, how whether a team it want, is able to go back there or not. So this isn't just based on the standings. All right, so there's several of these agreements like Penn State couldn't go, can't go back to the pinstripe bowl contractually. So when we, for the rest of these games, uh, with the big, and the Big Ten appears to be the only league where this is the case, where there's a limitation of mm-hmm. preference for repeat offenders. So for the Big Ten games, I have factored that in to these projections. Okay. Um, Outback Bowl, you have Tennessee against Nebraska. Um, that's optimistic. Not as optimistic as Phil Steele putting Nebraska in the Rose Bowl, but it's optimistic. Then uh, the Sun, Florida State, USC, Holiday Bowl, Iowa against Washington. If the Holiday Bowl has any chance to get Iowa and play that card, they're going to try to get Iowa this year because I think things change up here yep, in the very it. near future. This is the last chance. The The Big Ten is dumping the Holiday Bowl and replacing it with the uh, refurbished Las Vegas Bowl. Yes. Yeah, refurbished as in new facility, and that is uh, that wouldn't be and, a bad and, trip. And legalized sports wagering, me, it's not nearly the the taboo for the Big Ten to play there that it was just mm-hmm. twenty months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that bowl is going to be this tier for a very short time. Uh, oh, I, think that I, I agree. Probably I, I think if you don't if you don't go to Pasadena or the playoff, I think Big Ten teams with their and their fan bases are gonna are gonna are going to be shanking each other to get that Las Vegas bowl. Well, well not not only not only that. I mean, Las Vegas is one of for a lot of people one of the easiest places to get to find yeah. commercial flights. Yep, that, I was going to add that too. You're exactly right about that. That's the double thing. I mean, that you may you may all things be considered, you might prefer to go to San Diego, but most cities in the Big Ten you can fly directly to Vegas. You can't fly directly to San Diego. And the amount of hotels that you can find in Vegas would fit anyone's budget, whatever yep. you're looking for. So uh, it might not be good for the charter business, but it's great for the fans and affordability. Uh, Tax Slayer Bowl, Minnesota against Auburn. The artist formerly known as the Gator Bowl here, and this is a game where Minnesota with its fan base, even even with the finish I have, they'd like to bring somebody else in, but all the other available teams have all met the threshold of having already appeared in this game. Then uh, Alamo Bowl, you've got Iowa State against Oregon. Iowa State making back-to-back trips, and, you know, I, I think their fans would still go. That is, it's one of the most fun bowl destinations I have ever been to. Well, the Alamo Bowl has a history with the people of the state of Iowa, obviously. And when you look at what Iowa State did, where literally you could have robbed a bank in in the Ames Roland story Ankeny area last year and gotten away with it at three in the afternoon. There was nobody there. There's nobody. Highway 30 was a freaking ghost. You saw tumbleweeds in December on Highway 30. The whole state, that part of the whole state all went down there. And I can see that again. And then Oregon has a, has a Hawkeye fan 
level of, of traveling fan base. So if you were the Alamo Bowl and you got to marry those two fan bases, your local chamber of commerce will be very grateful. Camping World Bowl, TCU Notre Dame. Notre Dame fans uh probably not so eager for that one. Probably not. So beat Stanford at the end of the year. And if I'm wrong about that, then Notre Dame will uh, be in the New Year Six. If I'm right, though, then they go into the eight. They're out, if they're out of the New Year Six, then they go into the ACC's bowl slotting. And um, this is the this is actually the num the next tier for the the next game for the ACC after in this cycle anyway. It'll get better after this year when the new agreements start next year. But for this cycle for the ACC Camping World Bowl gets the next pick after the New Year Six. That's and the incredible. Sun Bowl, and the Sun Bowl goes second. That's why Florida State is in that game. All right. So the Camping World Bowl takes Notre Dame over Florida State. Mm. Uh, rounding out the Big Ten bowls here, Pinstripe Bowl, Purdue against Syracuse, and the Red Box Bowl, Penn State against Stanford. Any of those games you find interesting at all? Um, I mean, <laughs> excuse me, P- uh, Purdue. I always find Purdue interesting just because they're very entertaining to watch. Uh, with regards to the rest of the Big Ten Bowl games, I mean, I, we've seen Iowa and Washington, uh, well, a long time ago, totally different teams. But, I, you know, Iowa and the Holiday Bowl, it's, it's a good tradition. It would be nice to see them get there one more time. I'd like to see them finish higher than that personally. But um, Minnesota-Auburn, the tax layer, I would find that interesting. Um, Michigan-Georgia, certainly in the semifinal, would be a, a lot of fun to watch as well. Are we are we approaching sub uh, sub forty days to the start of the season? Big Ten Media yeah. Days this week. Big Ten Media Days are Thursday and Friday. By the way, I've got Wisconsin going to Detroit. Yeah, quick lane bowl, Wisconsin. Sorry, I missed that. And then yeah, you've I wanted, got uh, Air Force I wanted to give Northwestern. I I wanted to throw some bone to the Hawkeye Nation listeners wow. by sending the Badgers. I, I didn't. By the way, I didn't make that pick for that reason. I wanted to make sure we highlighted that pick for that reason. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, you're I get not, these bull projections thinking, hey, let me let me give, uh, you know, five people on the Hawkeye Nation podcast a laugh. But since my projections worked out this way, I wanted to give those five people a laugh. Yeah, you're not sent to Detroit for a bowl game. You're sentenced to yes, Detroit I, for I, a bowl I game. Used, I used that line once, and it's the only time Dan McCartney ever got mad at me, ever, is when I said when, when Iowa State – was relegated when they went from number nine in middle of October in the country to the crucial dot com humanitarian um, uh, humanitarian bowl presented Sponsored by Larry, by Larry Miller, Miller Automotive Automotive Group. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I turned down a chance to go on the charter flight. I'm like, I don't want to freaking go to Boise, Idaho, you know. And I went on the radio and said that you don't get awarded a bowl game in Boise; you get sentenced there. Yeah, Dan McCartney and Mac didn't like me for that. But there's a lot of truth where that's concerned with Detroit as well. But that that would be that would be a huge slice of humble pie for Wisconsin football. Yeah. Um, Preseason number four in the AP poll going into twenty eighteen to a bowl game in Detroit in twenty nineteen. Yikes. Chris would have a very, very uh High expectations for 2020, otherwise that seat starts to get warm. Air Force Northwestern in the Armed Forces Bowl, and also Indiana against North Texas in the First Responders Bowl. That wraps up the Big Ten. All right. Anything else? Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. If if you were Michigan, would you rather 
even if Georgia is number one and plays out and beats Alabama, wouldn't you rather play them though than Alabama or Clemson in a semifinal? You, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that, that Bama and Clemson have been so heads and shoulders above yes. the field. There's almost like a psych-out factor, right? When you get it's out that, it's the, old, the old helmet game that you talk about. Yeah. You just put your helmets out there, and it's like, oh, crap, we got to play Bama. It's it, it's almost like your mind makes them bigger and better than they maybe are, and that's not to say they aren't good. But you're already behind three points on the scoreboard just because it's Bama, psychologically. Yeah. Yeah, it just sounds like that's a game that you can at least compete. It just kind of sounds like it. And I like Jake Fromm as a quarterback a lot, but he's not as explosive as Tua and certainly not as Trevor Lawrence. So it also kind of makes you think like, yeah, you know, maybe we won't be down 31 to 10 in the, at halftime at this game, you know? Um, but, um, Michigan, by the way, has never played Clemson. Last played George, I want to say like in 1965. And then the last time we played Alabama, uh, they damn near got Denard Robinson killed. If you remember that game, that was the Jerry World Classic back in 2012. Yeah, yeah. yeah Denard Robinson barely made it out of that game alive. Yikes! All right, man. Good stuff. People can find all of this where again? WolverineDigest.com. All right, for Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.